0: Well, welcome back everybody. Um, I'm, I'm excited to share with you here part two of the podcast that uh, I had with Shara Justice. If you haven't listened to part one, I encourage you to go back into the archives and, and listen to that one. Um, and uh, what you'll hear here is the, uh, the continuation of that conversation we had. Welcome to the Real Leadership Podcast. My name is Chris Obst. I've spent the last 25 years going deep with leaders on the real challenges they face, the stuff that keeps them up at night. Are you ready for raw and honest conversations and the reality that self-leadership and personal growth are the keys to you being the leader that you were meant to be? One of the insights I just got from you is, because and I've said this before, like when, I, when a new model comes into my world, you know, a new learning model or understanding neuroscience or like, oh, I wish I had this 30 years ago. Like I find myself saying that a lot because 30 years ago, you know, I was just getting launched into adulthood, I was getting married, I was having kids, and I, I look back at the you know the messes and mistakes I made that and I and I realize uh, and this is as much as me as for the listeners, this idea that this shit shows up when when you're ready and when it's you know this has been going on so so i was that person that said no my childhood was great i didn't want we weren't rich we weren't poor you know and then it it took me getting into a new romantic relationship to go to see the parts of me that were like oh that's that's not that great (laughs) that's not very mature that's not i don't i don't like this and and then starting to and so your connection between like your you know your supervisor and your parental figures you know in our deepest kind of loving relationships romantic relationships there's a we're very vulnerable um uh, mm-hmm. to to be triggered because our emotions right our emotions are right there our hearts are in it and and we can get hurt easily and then we react and and all of a sudden you're back to being a six-year-old boy
1: mm-hmm.
0: and so i think <clears throat> for the listeners who, who haven't dipped their toe in this world of Hey, listen, we've all got a past. Our past shapes us. And you can learn from it. It doesn't mean, to your point earlier, that every conversation needs to be a counseling session. But to have some awareness that you can heal from stuff you went through that you didn't even know impacted you. And if, so if you wake up to this at 30 or 40 or 50 or 60 or 70, it doesn't matter. The fact that you're waking up to it, it it is healing.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And it's positively impacting you and everyone that you're in relationship with. And so I think there's there's a part here that I I think I just I wanted to come out that it's like yeah it's okay you, you didn't miss the boat it showed up now because mm-hmm. you're ready now and I think one of my favorite lines and I've seen this and you know I have this I, I just wrote a newsletter about this a love hate thing with with social media because I'm realizing the longer i have it the more like instagram's curated and the the more time i can spend on it mm-hmm. and a lot of it i don't need and a lot of it just sucks time and energy and there's some good stuff on there and there's some right because if you start following stuff around psychology you start getting these quotes and and there's this one about like growth is when you <clears throat> catch yourself reacting differently to a situation than you used to and that's one of that's something i've lived over and over in the last few years i've caught myself in the act of being myself and it's like oh and you didn't do
1: mm-hmm.
0: that whole, just whatever language you want to use that behavior that I'm not proud of. You thought differently. You reacted differently. You sat with it. It's like, that feels so good. Mm-hmm. Right. And if, you know, we could, you have an athletic background like I do It's like, you could equate it to, Oh, I, before I couldn't do uh, three pull-ups mm-hmm. and now I can do 10. It's like, wow, remember I couldn't do three. Now you feel like you've grown. You feel like you've accomplished something. And, 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 you know, for the listeners to, 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 to just uh I guess hear that that hey there's whatever it is you can access it and it's not as complicated as you think and it's not as painful as you think there's actually this relief and this joy that comes from the other side mm-hmm. so and I don't know like I mean with your with your education and experience you probably might have a um sophisticated way of explaining what why does that how does that happen
2: mm. um There's many thoughts I had there while you were sharing all of that, while also really, really intentionally listening to you. Um, The first thing I want to think about or or share out loud is this this notion that we're only really going to change intentionally if we have a reason to change. You know, really meaning like something catastrophic happened in your life or to you or for you. Mm-hmm. Or something happened around you that you saw that motivated you. So what is that catalyst for change? For you, it might've been your relationship, right? Like going through the things that you went through over the last few years. So for a lot of people, it's been COVID and navigating. What's it like to really sit in this messy middle for as long as they have
1: mm-hmm.
2: For other people. It's, you know, I had this, you know, panic attack at work and now I'm having panic attacks or I have I got a cancer diagnosis or I now have high blood pressure and I have to, or what, you know, there's usually a catalyst for change. And I used to, from a public health background, it used to always grind my gears to think about that. Cause I was like, why can't people just be interested in thinking about how to prevent their, their hard. And instead of like waiting until hard shit happens and then trying to backtrack, right. Then you're moving back. Then you're trying to bounce back. And that that's way harder in my mind than yeah. trying to just keep moving forward. But um the other thing that I thought about as you were saying all of this was this this notion of stimulus and our chosen response. Have you read man's search for meaning by Victor Frankl?
0: No. I know Victor Frankl, but I don't know I don't know the book and I should.
2: It's a, it's called Man's Search for Meaning and Victor Frankl was a Holocaust was a Holocaust survivor. Um pretty influential figure in the field of psychology and human behavior. Um, and the short of it in the piece that i'm pulling out here is life is going to keep giving you stimuli you're going to get in you know triggers are more common vernacular around this right you're going to get triggered something big is going to happen in your life and the more opportunity you have to pause after that stimulus happened to calibrate your thinking to take a few mindful deep breaths and choose your reaction you move from actually having a reaction to having an intentional response to something, right? And I think a lot of people are walking around having knee-jerk reactions. And a lot of those knee-jerk reactions stem from beliefs in our childhood. What's the story I'm telling myself about what this person is doing? What's the story I'm telling myself about what this experience means to me? And it's usually rooted deep, deep back in the back of the storage unit. So how do we intentionally choose our responses to the stressful things that are inevitably going to happen in life no one gets out of here alive Mm -hmm. so we're all going to have a lot of stressful things we're all going to have a lot of triggering things but if you can slow yourself down enough and you practice that skill enough it's not going to happen your first time just like riding your bike didn't happen the first time you tried out that Mm -hmm. process But the longer you practice it, the easier it becomes to be living your life a little bit more intentionally. I think about that every day and every commitment that I make. What's the intention of what I'm doing and how does it matter in my life? How does it matter to the people around me? How am I serving myself in this space so that I can be the best version of myself for my community? What's the intention? Because if I'm walking around just living life, just dinking around, I don't know, here, I'm gonna have reactions all over the place when someone says something a little bit hurtful to me. I might be cold. I might be snappy. What have you? Um, But those things don't come up in your life. Those meaningful changes don't happen until you're ready for them to happen. And I think I said this the other day. We were talking about another book I had recommended, and um, and I said to you, "Don't worry about it. When you're meant to read it, you will. When something in your life is meant to happen, I genuinely believe when we're ready for it." we will move into it, move toward the direction of it. So if Victor Frankl and Man's Search for Meaning isn't, you know, part of your audience right now, it might be in a few years' time. Mm-hmm. Just like, you know, it sounds like you've you've said a few times now, I wish I knew this stuff 30 years ago. But I think that all of the things that you're processing now and navigating now is meant to happen at this stage of your life because you're finally in a state that you're ready to receive it. And a lot of people Aren't in those states until they're ready for it. Yeah. It has to be a motivating stimulus for them to get to that space of wanting to make that change.
0: Yeah, I I believe you, and and you know, like you said, it's a, it's always a um, it's a sign that you're appreciating what you're learning when you say that, right? Like mm-hmm. I wish I wish I knew this. It's it's a sign that oh, this is this is a gift, and mm-hmm. and and I'm valuing it, and and I do recognize that, and you know, I've got kids in their twenties, and uh, my daughter Freddie was on the podcast, and you know, when she struggles and. I'm like, hey, you know, you're so far ahead of most. Like, you're in your 20s and you're tapping into this stuff. Like, there's there's a lot of folks I work with that are twice your age that, that haven't started yet, and I'm just getting started. And so you you know it's there's no there's no right or wrong time. I I'm with you. I agree. I, I wanted to just um on a, on a practical note. So you you talked about the stimulus and triggers. So we know when we respond, re, or react versus respond you know if we have been triggered we're we're now in fight or flight right so now we're we're not we're not thinking whether prefrontal cortex we're reacting our amygdala is you know excited and, and we go into fight or flight
1: mm-hmm.
0: we've been told to take a few deep breaths what do you do <laughs> so you've set your intention for the day how you want to show up and who you're showing up for mm-hmm. so we're aligned with our purpose What do, what do you do in in those moments. I mean, is there something practical that you've learned or, or shared with clients um, to help in those moments?
2: Yeah, I so I set my intention for my day, but also for the things I'm doing like in the day. So, you know, before arriving for this, what was my intention arriving in here? You know, when I step into my next meeting, what's my intention for that? And the one after that, and then when I teach later this evening, what's my intention there? Mm. So I I feel like I pulse check myself pretty frequently throughout my day if I'm living my life in an authentic way to me. And when I start to hear the whispers in my mind of, you know, Cheryl, why are you doing this thing? You don't really want, gosh, this thing is not that fun. It's not that enjoyable. Or, you know, I I work with individuals and, you know, this team dynamic has been really pressing and really hard. And it feels like, you know, it's at some point is the juice worth a squeeze? You know?
1: Yeah.
2: Am I doing this thing because I've committed to it? I'm gonna I'm gonna hammer it out until I'm done with this commitment. Or am I doing this thing because it feels purposeful for everyone involved? I had a therapist a number of years ago say to me, Shara, in life you can do things through wisdom or you can do things through force. And back to your comment about drive earlier, right? a lot of people are forcing themselves to drive, 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 and they don't even know where they're driving to. And I think that's when the intentions started showing up for me. When I recalibrated to that, you know, am I doing this with wisdom as my guiding force? Or am I doing this just because it's what it's expected of me? Or it's what I've committed to, or it's what I need to do to satiate something else in my life. And when you stop to pause and ask yourself these questions, I think you start living your life a little bit more purposefully. Mm -hmm. Um, So in addition to what you said, you know, there's a reaction. You can't always do that. You know, you're going to get cut off in traffic and someone's going to drive you up the wall. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Things (laughs) are going to happen. And it's hard to ask, what's your intention in that moment? But in those moments, I really do try to think to myself two things. One, take a deep breath, Shara is this as intense as you're making it seem to be because your amygdala is hijacked? I love that you're you're learning all the neurology here too. Um, or, or, huh, Shara, why did you just have that reaction? What's making you feel that way? I wonder why I want to respond like this. And when I question myself, I start to feel a little bit more um, readjusted. You know, I I rarely growing up would question why I was doing, why I would have the reaction that I was having. I just had a reaction, and then I processed it and I moved on because I don't have time to dink around with other things. Right? I've got to go. I got things to do. Um, right. which, yeah.
0: So and, and that question does. I mean, that question kind of forces us to get back into our adult logical reasoning brain, right? Because because now we're we're saying, hmm, I wonder what. Why, why did that make you so upset? So just yeah. just that little moment is going to help you help your physiology, and and I, I think so anyway.
2: But oftentimes I do that also after something. You know, I walk out of a conversation I'm like, dang, why did? Or not even dang, but usually it comes from a a place of feeling remorseful about how I reacted to something, and it usually is. I wonder why I thought that way. It used to be, dang it, Shara you need to do this better next time. Why do you say that like that? You know, I was very unforgiving of myself. And now it's more, I wonder why I reacted that way. I wonder why I said that, not so much caught up in- So so
0: curiosity versus judgment.
2: Yes, to be curious over the choice to be critical. Yes.
0: Yeah, yeah. So uh, I think one of the, I mean, this is all gold, (laughs) but I think one of the gems that I, I just pulled out of this, that I think a lot of the folks I work with, and I certainly don't do, is is set or reaffirm your intention multiple times throughout the day.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, it's it's sort of like it's. I, I, th- I think more and more people are doing it. We've learned to start our day that way, not to just grab our phones and you know. Some people meditate and journal and will set our attention. but then you know, an hour and a half in, it's all out the window. Um, the shit's yeah. in the van. and <laughs> and so this idea of of building the muscle right? To to do it regularly. I think it's, um, I do, I think it's gold. I think it's it's fantastic. Uh, one of the other things you and I talked about is, is this idea of, you know, our passion and our purpose and our profession. And I feel lucky and I know this is the journey you're on. Like people say to me, well, how, what do you do and how did you get there? Like, you know, my my kids and their friends and they they look at, my job and said well you, you seem to be happy at work you're not complaining and you're not you seem to have free time and you seem to be healthy and generally happy and it's like yeah 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 and i like, well how did you get there like it wasn't my dream job i didn't know it was a job i, I created it because i kept bumping into situations that didn't fulfill me or that were uh, that were compromising my values or so when you were talking about this convergence of purpose passion and and profession I I'm going yep 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 and I feel grateful and I, I never take it for granted it's the reason why I think you know I'm at the age now where people are starting to retire um and I'm thinking well no I think I'm just getting going because I do feel that I feel like it's not work I know you're on that that journey and I've often said to clients look I don't expect everyone to have that I I think we have a responsibility to tend to our purpose, our passion, and our profession. But they might not be the same thing. You might have a profession that's like, well, I'm good at it. I know how to make money. I know how to feed my family. I know how to, you know, accomplish my goals this way. And what I always encourage and say, okay, well, so so where are you tapping into your purpose? Where are you living your passion? Which could be through other pursuits. It could be through volunteer organization, could be all kinds of other things. So I'm I'm just curious how you approach that when you talk to clients or, or how you've navigated that
2: well, I think it's kind of a privileged thing to be able to live all three, candidly. It's rare. It's very, very rare. And if you find something that is your purpose or your passion, it might not be able to pay you enough to be your profession, right? Or um, you might get caught up in wanting it, wanting to make enough money financially to feel really stable so that you can pursue your your passions and your purpose Later, Because your profession is what pays the bills to be able to do those things, right? And every one of us, every one of us looks through that filter a little bit differently. And I think when it comes to working with my clients, I often ask my coaching clients, I often ask, let's write these things out, I want you to take a piece of paper, write out what your purpose feels like it is, because to me, that feels the most fundamental of the three. Right. What is your purpose on this planet? And it doesn't have to be the same today as it is tomorrow, or it was even five years ago. But what do you think it is right now? What is motivating you to keep moving through? Then what feels like it's something that lights you up? Is it that the same thing? Or is it a laundry list of hobbies that make you feel happy? Or is it your family? you know, to be a parent, or is it to be a a godparent or aunt or uncle? Or what is it that feels like it's giving you passion for life? Because even your purpose might feel like I think about this, you know, in, in some context where you might be called to be a religious leader. And that's your purpose on this planet. But you might not you have to sacrifice a lot along the way that passion for it might toggle around. I think about it toggles a little bit more like a dimmer, you know, up and down versus totally on, totally off. Can you dim things and can you amplify things a little bit? Mm
1: -hmm.
2: And then what is it that pays the bills? So I, I ask my clients to do that pretty early in our working relationship, because I feel like that drives how I'm showing up to support them. Some people are able to marry all three and it's kind of this like magic recipe for joy in their life and their drive. But a lot of people it's choosing two of the three or for other people, it might be at the end of the day, what's going to motivate you the most? Because some people motivation is I want the fancy title. I don't care as much about compensation because I have stability in that somewhere else in my life. And I want to feel like I'm seen. Other people, they care only about how much money they make and they don't want, you don't care about the accolades that come along with it. In that, I think when you're able to navigate those critical aspects of your life with a higher aptitude for understanding what it is I'm doing and why, you're able to align your intentions to those things and constantly recalibrate those. Of, okay, my intention here is that I'm seeking joy for this experience. I'm going to go mountain biking for an hour of my day to feel satiated in my desire for passion and purpose, just to have fun on this this humanly experience. Others might be, you know, this, I'm going to go into this meeting and I'm going to close this big deal. And the intention of that is that I'm going to pursue myself a little bit more professionally and enable and secure my bank account for the next month you know what i mean so
1: yeah, everybody's
2: right. got different motivating factors and if you can find that secret sauce that magic recipe for all three being part of your life then that's great but some people don't really crave it yeah right?
0: no, I, I think that's a really really good point i'm also hearing there though that there's like, again just just to be intentional about what what am i serving here is this serving my purpose mm-hmm. right is this serving it's funny I heard a version of it. it, it was purpose, passion and profits, mm-hmm. which is which is a little more uh, raw, I guess than profession meaning hey I, I want to make money or I need to make money to put food on the table or I want to make money. and it's just it's just tricky. I remember in, in my younger years, um, just watching peers around me, most of male at that time and there was this there was this little story around uh oh no, I'm, I'm working so hard to take care of my family. Right. Mm-hmm. And it it sounds amazing because who would judge you for that? Right. But if you peel back what I saw, and I had I can remember two people that admitted to me later, you know, when they'd kind of evolved and we had the conversation. They said, you know, I said it was from my family, but it was for me because I was trying to keep up with my neighbor who had a bigger house and a boat. And it was ego. Yeah. It was ego. It was. You know, and again, we're not, people have egos and we're not judging them, but just this recognition that when you start to peel back the layers and really look at your motivation, you know, it's easy to lie to ourselves and lie to others because not a lot of people call us on our shit. (laughs) And and like I said, to say, oh, I'm I'm doing this for my family. It sounds wonderful. Like, who's going to question that? But so I think I think the uh, the onus is on. I think for, for people who do work with folks like you and I, with coaches, I think it's amazing because you get a perspective, you get someone who's in your corner, but who's not afraid to, you know, kind of help you question uh, some of your decisions and and are they aligned with what motivation? Um, but I think we do, you know, the, the thing I'd like to give people if there was a magic pill is just the the opportunity and responsibility to look at themselves. Not like you touched on earlier, not to criticize or judge, but to just have really look and question Mm -hmm. why am I doing this or I did this for the last few years what was what was I getting out of it and where am I heading right and I think in in this world where people do seem busier and more plugged in and less time and less focus that gets harder to do.
2: Can you remain curious in your pursuit?
0: Yeah absolutely. Um, All right one of the other things that, that that you and I were talking about in a conversation recently was this idea of leaders and vulnerability and you know, it's it's a it's funny. There's a few things we've talked about now that feel like buzzwords, right? Like things like getting triggered and trauma. Um, yes, yes, right. And and I think in leadership, you know, vulnerability and authenticity feels like almost buzzwordy now, whereas ten years ago it was like what? Because I I grew up in the in a business world where leaders above me did not show vulnerability. Some were authentic most weren't but that was what everybody did that was how we were taught like you said you put on your work clothes and you put on this your game face and you never let them see you sweat because you're the one at the top you're the leader you're gonna have all the answers you know fortunately and i, I don't know like how all of this evolution happened but i know that when the millennial generation hit the workforce they just stopped buying that and they're like i don't care what your title is <laughs> that doesn't impress me whereas I was just raised in a way that anyone that had any sort of authority over you, you just yes or no, sir, three bags full and and carry on. So you and I both know through our own experiences and through working with leaders that true vulnerability is inspiring. It is a sign of strength. And I I know Brene Brown was the one that kind of, I think, brought it into the mainstream, that it's actually hard to be vulnerable. It's not a sign of weakness. We see vulnerability in others. As strength, but we see it in ourselves if we show it that it's weakness, right? So this is a very complex topic. I'm just wondering, because you and I have touched on it, but we haven't really talked uh deeply about it. What, what's your take on vulnerability and leadership? And what are you noticing?
2: Mm, I think it's so I get caught up in the, you know, the boomer, Gen X, Millennial, Gen Z, you know, it makes sense from like cultural shifts over time. Um, but there are a lot of the, like, I think the millennial generation is actually like those who grew up with technology and those who didn't, I'm on the, I'm on the higher end and I did not. So I didn't have it until I was in, uh, late high school, early college where, you know, people in, older than me didn't have it until they were, you know, working professionals. But I think that's kind of this catalyst of sorts. It's like this, um, demarcation that we look at. And then the Gen Zs are, that. I mean, if you think millennials are like, I could give two shits about your title. Can't wait for the Gen Zs to arrive because they are whole. whole, and it's delightful because yeah. I think it's refreshing because there is no song and dance of, you know, we talked about social constructs a little bit earlier. There's no song and dance of needing to be something other than who I really am with that generation for the most part, obviously not everybody is that way. And I think that's where I kind of hung up with like the generational rifts, because there's always going to be people who grew up in different environments, who aren't like them. No, they don't
0: fit. They don't fit their their peer group. Yeah.
2: Right, but I think you know, as we look to to vulnerability and leadership, I believe that anybody can is a leader at any given time. You know, if you're a parent trying to convince your kiddo who's a toddler to eat their carrots. You have to figure out the art of persuasion and leadership, right?
1: Yeah.
2: And if you want to apply that to um, the working class adults who are trying to figure out how to navigate team dynamics and the lead from the front example, I've always been a big proponent of leaders getting their hands dirty alongside their teams because that's where you build respect and respect is mutually reciprocated a lot of where I think we got into these hairy dynamics that you're kind of alluding to earlier of, you know, you just kind of buttoned up your collar and followed the direction was that respect was demanded. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: And it's almost, it comes from this like patriarchal hierarchy, you know, that stems from monarchies, you know, it's old, old, it's old, 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 that, you know, I carry a caliber and therefore I must be respected. And the younger generations are looking at things thinking, well, like, how's that all worked out for everybody? (laughs) Like, are we all actually doing that great? Because I I don't know, I'm sitting in a cloud of smoke right now because the world's kind of on fire where I'm at. So like, how are we doing with that? Right. And so I think this coming up to the table with questions stems this permission for vulnerability, no matter where you walk in life. How do I be more curious over my experience and to vulnerably share that while also getting my hands just as dirty as the people around me? And they may not see how dirty my hands are because what I'm doing is so separate from what they're doing, but we're, we're on parallel tracks. So how do I then start to illuminate what I'm doing over here so that people still feel motivated and inspired by me? And part of that, sometimes it is this requirement to ask for help that I think a lot of leaders struggle with. Personality types like yours and mine in particular, and I'm sure many of our clients, right? That have been really ambitious, go-getters, gonna work hard to get the job done no matter what, need to finish and accomplish these things that I've committed to. I said I was gonna do it, so damn, I'm gonna do it. (laughs) Right. Right. And there's a difference there. There's a nuanced difference in being a leader from that stance and learning to delegate to your team. Mm -hmm. to get some sort of objective met with now I'm going to be really vulnerable and ask for your help. I need to be supported and show that I don't have all of my shit together in the way that I'm being perceived as having it all together
1: Mm
2: -hmm. and genuinely ask that someone help me. And I used to think, you know, um, it sometimes feels like a softer blow when we say, I Help can seem like you're helpless, that you are sacrificing and unable to accomplish this thing on your own. When likely you probably could, but you might need support along the way. And so I kind of nuanced that with the people I'm talking through because language is so important. How we communicate what we need is such an art. When I say I need help with something, it makes me feel, I, me, Shara, I feel incredibly uncomfortable saying, I need help. Will you help me? Can you, will you do this thing for me? Cause I'm really struggling with this for for whatever reason I found with myself and with a lot of my clients. If I say, Hey, can you support me in this? It feels a little less uh, painful (laughs) for lack of better words to, to say that, you know, but it's the same question. How can I support you? How can I help you? How can I be supported? How can it be helped or aided?
0: You know what's wild about that, Shira? And I, I, I totally get it. This idea of putting up your hand and saying, I need help.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: How it does, you do, can feel helpless. <clears throat> and I've asked this question to, to many people. What does it feel like when when someone asks you for help? What do you feel motivated help. to do?
2: Yeah, you're off, you're yeah. Like, yeah, it feels good. It's a reinforcement.
0: I will drop everything to help you. Mm-hmm. I think innately in humans Mm -hmm. there's a high desire to help others Mm
1: -hmm.
0: and and so the clarity of that ask right Mm -hmm. and i love that you shared it for you it's uncomfortable and i because i know i'm in the same boat like i i would much rather help others than be helped Mm -hmm. and i'm realizing that if i don't allow others to help me i'm really actually not doing anyone any favors i'm limiting my own growth uh well-being and the impact that I can have on others. So back back to purpose, right? If, if I'm too proud or too stubborn or too scared to ask for help, it actually limits my capacity. Yeah. So, I, But I love that piece around language. So you found a, a workaround for you is to say, well, if I ask for support, it's less scary than saying help me.
2: Yeah. And I found that for a lot of my high, high caliber clients as well, who are looking to figure out ways that they can be less resentful i think a lot of people get to the place where they're they're saying oh well i've you know ripped the shirt off my back multiple times for all these people in my life i've done this i've done that i've gone above and beyond and then when i need help or support who's lining up to help me and um i think that comes from this space of one a lot of the the narrative around that is well you seem so put together you have your life so figured out what do you what could you need help with so people not knowing because because we haven't vulnerably shared, actually, I'm struggling with this, this, or this in my life, or I need help, or I'm struggling with this, this, this on this project, if we're, you know, equating to a business context. And then part of that, I think is, is this wanting to, it almost goes back to like my ego comment before, not to, not to dog on ego. I think ego is healthy to have and, and we all have it. Right. No, no. But when we get so prideful, that, you know, I'm the yes man, I'm the yes woman, I'm the yes person, and I can do all the things, watch me go, that we actually rob our community of opportunities for them to grow and step up and take action. I think this is a big thing with parenting too. We, with leadership, when we have people under our purview or in our, in our, on our teams, when we're constantly saying yes, 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 I'll do it all. And we're never asking for anyone to help us or to support us the people around us don't have to learn those skills because there's someone else in the dynamic who's going to do it for them. And then that bodes resentment for the person who's constantly doing all the things that are, you know, making the team stay afloat. And then the other people who are like, well, this person is so controlling. They always want it their way. There's no other way out. Right. So it's this, again, it's this dance. What's your intention versus the impact? Your intention is to be the best, most supporting person you can be and getting everything done. But the impact is it's going to deteriorate you over time. And the impact on your team might be they think that you're controlling or manipulative or bossy or rude or, you know, don't share well. When they also want to help. Back to your point of like what is what's kind of innate in us. Most people want to be of servitude to others. I know. But we rob our communities of those opportunities to be in servitude, to build their own skills, to grow, and for us to be able to trust them more when we constantly do all the lifting ourselves individually.
0: It's actually a win-win when we can turn that corner, right? And I, I, I shared with you in our call last week that you know that experience I had at the horse ranch, and mm-hmm. I was working with with one of my coaches, Hillary, and just outlining all the things that were going on in my world right now with caring for my parents and all the family stuff. And you know, she's like, well who's who's uh who's holding space for you? Who's taking care of you? And I'm like, oh, have you asked anybody? No. <laughs> and and you know so very quick to say, well nobody's nobody's coming to me. No one's offering me help and support. And it's like and I started realizing, well, do I present that way? Do I ever I, present in a way that that i act like i need help or want help like i'm first you know this is what i do for a living i help others and i'm always looking to help even when they're not wanting help that's part, part of my burden but um to, to actually make yourself available to be helped to be that vulnerable to put up your and say help me i was like i haven't done that and i'm realizing that i need it Mm-hmm. I, I, I need it. And I'd be the first person to say to you or to one of my clients, well, of course, you know, don't be so proud. Like people want to help you. Mm-hmm. So that, that I think hopefully for the listeners, there's a, there's, there's something that resonates there that, you know, if you want to reflect on yourself is do you let others help you? Like we all need it. If, if you think that you can get through this world without help, uh, I think you're mistaken or misguided for sure. And then you ask anyone who's been successful in the world of, you know, uh, arts or sports or what have you, um, business, the most successful people say, I, I didn't do it alone. Everyone yeah. talks about how they've been supported. Mm-hmm. And, and so I think that's a that's a it's a nuanced muscle uh to develop in, in leadership is to say, yes, you need to be the person at the front of the room who's leading the charge that, that inspires. And with that, you can also be the person that says, I'm struggling.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I need help. Can you help me? And to be okay and not have to pack it off as, well, this is a growth opportunity for you. So I'm actually, I'm being a good leader by giving, no, no, I'm struggling and I need help. And I think, you know, when I, when I talk to my clients about this, I say, you're, you're giving them permission to be brave, to be imperfect, to be strong when you show it. And um, I'm just wondering in in your career, um, have you experience that like what does it do for you when a leader in your world shows vulnerability maybe it's not a boss but but when, when a leader in your world shows true vulnerability what does it do for you
2: um to me I think it makes me feel inspired you know when I see somebody who I deeply one well, it's just you know leadership is uh different across the board right you know you have uh-huh. different dynamics across the board but if I see somebody that I admire and respect for whatever reason show me glimmers of them needing support, needing help, struggling through something. It reminds me of their humanness. And I feel motivated to step up in the way that I can to support them. And sometimes stepping up isn't actually doing anything for them. Sometimes it's watching them navigate their own thing. Sometimes it is being a helpful ear. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it is asking them, very candidly, how can I support you? Mm -hmm. And you think about that answer for a while and let me know when you have it, because a lot of people who aren't used to hearing that question don't even know what to say when someone asks them that. So, you know, it's, I think about duality a lot of things can be this and they can be that at the same time. You can be a superb leader in this world and you can also be navigating some really hard things behind closed doors and no one really knows. Mm -hmm. and in that whole process you don't have to out yourself of what it is that's really hard that you're going through but just that people know hey i'm navigating something that's challenging i'm not might not have bandwidth for this thing can someone help me over here on this people are usually going to say yes they might be curious but if you're really if you're really honest and real in showing this vulnerability People are going to step up. They don't have to always know all the details of it. And I think back to the generational thing, the Gen Zers, they're very good for the most part of not being like, so tell me all about what's going on with you. Can you give me all the details? They're just like, I trust that you've, you're going through something. I don't need to know all the details, but it seems like it's really harrowing for you. So I'm going to support you how I can. You know what I mean? Like we don't need to be gossipy or in each other's business to know that someone's going through something that's hard just to respect them enough to trust that they might need some support.
0: Wonderful. Um, okay. So in, in, terms of wrapping up and we covered a lot of ground, well, what would be a message? I, you know, um, I've never actually done this, but I, I feel compelled to in this case, I think it's Tim Ferriss often asked people like, what's, what would they put on their billboard or, or, or what, you know, uh, well, well, if you were to just, and let's just look, cause you and I will talk again, but let's just look ahead in the, in the coming months
1: what would
0: be something that you know, you you know generally who my my audience is. What would be a message if if you share justice got to be in the ear of of you know human leaders that are like you and I, you know, tasting success and failure and struggle and excitement and joy, all that? What would be like a um golfers use this idea of a swing thought? Like what are you thinking about before you play or before you hit the ball? And and I really like this your idea, um, your energy around intention. Right. So, what would be something that you would like my listeners to think about or explore?
2: I'll try to be short and sweet. I would say, aim high, seek joy, fear less, and know your know yourself and your intentions.
0: Wonderful. That's beautiful. Uh, sure thank you thank you for for the time for sharing all your wisdom and your energy and uh i knew this would be fun um we'll do one in person one day uh but i didn't like i said i didn't want to wait any longer so so thank you for being here i really appreciate it
2: oh thank you for having me what a delightful treat this has been thank you chris
0: awesome okay thanks everybody for joining in uh we'll talk soon
2: The Real Leadership Podcast is produced by Chris Obst Leadership and Alive Creative Services. Thank you for listening.